What you're about to hear is of a general nature and doesn't take into account your personal financial situation, needs or objectives. We recommend you seek financial advice before making any decisions about your super and consider the relevant Unisuper product disclosure statement. Hello and welcome to Super Informed Radio, the podcast that unpacks the world of super, finance and life's money matters. I'm Tanya. And I'm Lyndon. Wow, super and slavery. They're two concepts you might naturally think that would go hand in hand, Lyndon. The idea that money being put aside for your retirement savings could be at risk of exposure to slavery in one form or another. But modern slavery is actually quite high on the agenda at the moment, not just for super funds, but many companies in Australia and throughout the world. That is right, Tanya. So to quickly unpack this a bit, modern slavery is an umbrella term for a range of exploitative practices and labour rights abuses like forced labour and human trafficking. It's something that can occur in any country uh, and it's a big risk in the supply chains of large companies, particularly like very global ones. Industries with high risks of modern slavery, according to the government, include agriculture, construction, electronics, extractives, so mining, uh, fashion and hospitality. And why are we talking about it? Well, in 2018, the Australian government passed a Modern Slavery Act, which means certain companies and businesses, including super funds, will soon be submitting statements to the government on modern slavery each and every year. So having said all that, uh, this episode, we're going to get to the bottom of how we're managing our exposure to modern slavery through the companies we invest in. Tanya and I spoke with two Unisuper experts in the field, our Manager of Sustainable Portfolios and Governance, Lou Caparelli, and Senior Investment Analyst, Sybil Dixon. Let's take a listen. Lou and Sybil, welcome to Superinformed Radio. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Linda. Um, now, Unisuper has a robust approach to environmental, social and governance considerations. That's also known as ESG, um, which is kind of a pretty big concept for people to get their head around. But if I'm correct, modern slavery would fall under the S, meaning the social aspect of ESG. Can you tell us firstly a little bit about modern slavery and how it's actually defined? Um, Sure, Lyndon, you're quite right. Modern slavery does fit within the S being a social issue that... uh, we do look at. And the definition of modern slavery is worth sort of understanding a little bit in context because most people think that other sort of forms of exploitation can be seen as slavery and it's got to satisfy a particular definition for it to be known as modern slavery. Right. Under the um, the, the legislation, the there's basically eight types of serious exploitation that are fit within the definition of modern slavery and they are trafficking in people, slavery, servitude, forced marriage, forced labour, debt bondage and the worst forms of child labour and deceptive recruiting for labour or services. And so, for example, that wouldn't mean that just because you're getting paid below minimum award standards that that would count as a form of slavery. Yes, it's a form of exploitation, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't satisfy a definition of modern slavery and, as we all know, there's already rules and legislation that... um, you know, work against wage underpayment. And so that becomes a separate uh, category of issues. Hmm. Um, how does modern slavery impact on super funds and by extension, our members? So modern slavery is an issue for Unisuper and super funds in general at a number of levels. So one 
as with all companies, it's the supply chain of the things that we use. So the computers, these microphones that we're speaking into now, sort of where have they come from, how have they been produced and making sure that there's not slavery present in those supply chains. But also as a super fund, one of our largest exposures and, you know, the job that we're here to do is to look after people's retirement savings Mm -hmm. and that is by investing in companies. And the companies that we invest in have their own supply chains and it's understanding and making sure that A, they're also reporting under this um, legislation but also making sure that they know how they are managing those risks in their supply chains as well. Yeah. And in terms of the legislation, are you able to just give us a bit more information about the actual Modern Slavery Bill? So, yeah, it's it's now uh, the Modern Slavery Act and it was passed in December last year mm-hmm. and it basically requires companies to produce an annual Modern Slavery Statement if their revenues are in excess of $100 million yep. a year. Uh, Unisuper fits within that category, so we'll be required to put out our own Modern Slavery Statement. So... Uh, we have to put out our modern state, our modern slavery statement after 30 June 2020, and we've got six months to do that. Right. What are some actual real life examples of modern slavery risk in the supply chains of the companies we invest in that that you've come across? Or Lyndon, I might I might take that one because I've got uh, an absolute easy case for most people to get their heads around, mm-hmm. and um, we. Uh, big investors in Woolworths and Wes Farmers. Mm-hmm. Wes Farmers owns Kmart and Target. Um, Woolworths owns Big W. And I'm sure we've all uh, bought T-shirts and other garments from uh, those discount department stores. Mm. And there's a real issue there with, you know, what is the supply chain that procured those um, T-shirts? And so it's all very well for us to, you know, pat ourselves on the back that we've found a $3 T-shirt. But the question we have to ask ourselves is where was that garment manufactured? And so your roles, do you go and meet with these companies to try and make sure that like their modern slavery risks are being mitigated? Or is that something that they're already entrusted to do and we're just checking that they're doing it? It often comes up in different ways. So often, like many of you out there, you'll sort of hear or read about something in the newspapers, whether or not it's a Four Corners report or an expose in The Age. And then when these things happen, we kind of, I will look at our portfolios and the investments that we have in that particular industry. So in the case of fruit picking, you know, I'd look at my port, look at the investments that we have and go, okay, where do we have exposure to fruit picking? And so we'll look, okay, so there's Wes Farmers, which used to own Coles. Now Coles is its own independent um, company. Um, Woolworths, but also there's a um, sort of groups like Costa Group, which also are fruit growers. And so we, c- and then I'll reach out to those companies so we can better understand how they're managing these risks, what sort of steps they've put in place to make sure these things don't happen. And if in the case, you know, it's clearly linked to their practices, what has gone wrong in that their steps that they've put in place to mitigate these practices haven't worked. I don't want this to be uh, looking like we're piling on with Woolworths and Wes Farmers, but <laughs> the main reason we're talking about them is that there's topical examples within the nature of their businesses. And most people, given that they are staple businesses, can relate to it and experience it and are probably yeah. uh, in, engaging with Woolworths or Coles or, or Wes Farmers businesses um, yeah, a few times a week. Mm. So from that perspective, it's worth highlighting, but it's not just um, uh, these sorts of issues around fruit picking and garment manufacturing. There are other issues which we'll get into. Mm. And it's also worth noting 
that uh, both Woolworths and West Farmers are already complying with the requirements of the Modern Slavery Act and have been doing it voluntarily for a few years already. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put out their own modern slavery statement talking about um, and addressing these particular issues and they highlight any incidents that they've had and how they're addressing and remediating them when they when they see them. They've got supplier codes of conduct and you know really go deeply into their supply chain across all of the billions of dollars of um, purchasing that they make. And so we think it's pretty well managed. And I think it's important to add like the aims of the Modern Slavery Act is to try and eradicate slavery. It's not a pointing the finger exercise. It's not about, you know, stopping or like going, oh my goodness, a bad thing has been found in your supply chain, therefore you're a terrible company. It's about identifying where these risks are, seeing where you can better manage them and hopefully improve the circumstances by which, you know, your employees and your supply chain operates. A really great example would be sort of Adidas and Nike, which were known in the mid-90s as, you know, a hot spot for sort of child um, child workers and you know, those sorts of poor behaviours. Now they're one of the better performers. Um, and I think it's really important to note that in terms of disclosures, it's not the cheaper the thing is, the less likely it is to happen. I um, was looking at the advocacy group called Know the Chain uh, with the sportswear apparel and you've got the leaders of Adidas and they're sort of seen as sector leaders with a score of 92 out of 100 with respect to how they disclose and monitor and manage, whereas Prada came in with 5 out of 100. Now, that's not to say that Prada has modern slavery in its supply chain. All it is to say is that they haven't disclosed well around how they manage that risk. Yeah. I think it's good for people to also think about where their products are coming from and actually rather than just turning up to Kmart and Woolies and Coles and just expecting things to be there, thinking about that supply chain is really important. So in talking about, you know, examples of where these issues can occur, um, in some of the research and stuff we were doing before we uh, jumped in front of the microphones, um, cobalt mining in the Congo kind of came up as something that we might all unwittingly be exposed to in one form or another or not. Can you take us through, like, how how might my super be somehow exposed to modern slavery risks in regards to cobalt mining? So the technology supply chain is very long and diverse. With any sort of supply chain, the longer it is, the harder it is to control what goes into it. The more intermediaries you have, the more risk you're exposing yourself to. Um, So the technology supply chain uses lots of different metals and minerals in all different sorts of ways to come up with – so you you dig the stuff out of the ground and then it goes through various different stages of refining and then it finds itself into a factory when it gets turned into something and then it goes into another factory where it gets turned into something else and then all of a sudden it all gets put into something that you then wear on your wrist. Um, Some of these products, mining is an area where and minerals extraction is an area of risk with respect to slavery and also underpayment and occupational health and safety and a whole range of risks in the Congo specifically because it's a sort of conflict zone as well. So you're also potentially funding um, wars 
um, and various different sort of nation states to finance these wars. So there are a number of different regulations and restrictions that sort of many companies sign up to, to sort of say it's conflict mineral free. But, you know, there is a risk that if companies don't have adequate supervision of their supply chain, that you can be unwittingly purchasing those. Most technology companies, so just off the top of my head, Apple, Google, um, Samsung have signed up to a lot of these agreements, so conflict mineral free, and have reasonable oversight of their supply chains. California has its own Modern Slavery Act, and so Google and Apple are required to report in accordance with their Modern Slavery Act. And also for their branding, it's really important for them. And I think it's also just worth highlighting that I would not have instinctively thought in my capacity as a Unisuper member that cobalt mining in the Congo was a thing that Unisuper would need to worry about. But it is interesting that we are investing in companies deriving products from somewhere in Africa and countries like Congo that you wouldn't normally think in, in your day-to-day thinking about uh, these sorts of issues. Mm. I guess also just on that point, going back to the example about Woolworths and uh, West Farmers and Coles and all of that, like where do, where do we draw the line at how far the supply chain goes or where the concern around the supply chain goes? Because presumably at one time we were like, we're investing in you and that's your risk, but now we're investing in you and we want to make sure you're managing that risk. Yeah, it's a really good point, Lyndon. And obviously when you look at these things, you've got to do some sort of materiality uh, assessment on you know how much of um, our investment portfolio in our case is invested in um, in these sorts of companies. But then the other overlay you have to think about is where are the more likely risks to be in these modern slavery issues? And then you've got to find a mapping between what's material versus what are the most obvious uh, risk factors to, to think about. And so to the extent that you know we do invest in companies like Apple and, uh, and Google and Samsung, then we would need to flag these modern slavery issues there. But what's good is that these companies themselves are required to put out their own modern slavery um, uh, statements or have policies around them, even if they're not required to by legislation. And so we can look at that and at least know or take some comfort from the fact that they are um, looking at these issues and addressing them and trying to iron out where there's deficiencies in their supply chain and do what they can to address it. Mm. And I think it's also important to say that you've got to start somewhere. Mm. You can't start with everything because it's just too much. So, you know, you'll start with your immediate supplies. So, you know, if you're a, well, a uni super, who are we buying things from, you know? And then the next step would be, okay, we're fairly comfortable with how they're managing their risks and then maybe take it to the next level. So one area where another area of risk would be um, contract cleaning was a big, big risky area for Australian real estate companies Um, and you'd had multiple levels of contracting. Now, one way that they can control that... By contract cleaning, do you mean the people that are cleaning shopping centres or Precisely. So the people who are cleaning the office that we're in today, so potentially the manager of this building would have a contract with, a let's call it a cleaning company, and then they would subcontract to a smaller one. So potentially it's a national cleaning company that would then subcontract to a, 
a Victorian cleaning company that would then subcontract to a Melbourne cleaning company. Now, every time you're sort of putting in those layers of contracting, you're removing yourself from the person who's actually doing the work, but you're also having many layers of um, costs as well. So one way of controlling these risks is to say we only allow one layer of contracting. So you have a much more direct relationship with the sort of workers that are working in your building. Um, now, that's not practical in the case of, you know, a technology supply chain. So that's one method of control. And then the other ways is just finding out more information, getting your suppliers to report, getting their suppliers to report and so on and so forth. But it's about taking small steps and then building on it. In terms of uh, contract layering, how would that affect fruit picking? So fruit picking is an area where we have sort of an added complexity where often seasonal workers are employed because, you know, apples and oranges and maybe not bananas, but like apples and oranges only sort of ripen in a reasonably short period of time every year. So you need a lot of workforce in a reasonably short period of time and you're not necessarily going to maintain that workforce throughout the year. So farmers will employ contractors to do the fruit picking. Um, there are seasonal worker programs where um, there will be people brought in from, say, Fiji to work in Australia for short periods of time um, to do things like fruit picking and then they go back to their home country and that is a perfectly legal thing to do and it can be done in a, you know, in a responsible way. That being said, there are lots of instances and examples where it hasn't been done responsibly and you have labour hire companies advertising in um, some Southeast Asian countries saying, you know, if you pay us $3,000, then we will get you all of this amazing work and you'll get paid this. And then they come over to Australia and they take their passports away from them. They need to repay back the $3,000 or whatever that they paid initially to get the work. Um, so that's an example of debt bondage where you have to pay back your sort of the right to work. Um, and because their passports have been taken away from them, they're you know, stuck potentially in a remote area. So that is a form of modern slavery. Yeah, completely disempowered. Completely yeah. disempowered. It's not just like being underpaid or, you know, no. No. you can walk away from you, an underpaid yeah. job, but, yeah, these are, they're holding some kind of yeah. And there's valuable... workplace laws yeah. that protect against that so you don't need modern slavery legislation yeah. to, to address that. Yeah. So I guess as consumers, individually we can play our part by ensuring that the companies that we buy things from, whether they're groceries or tech products, are you know reputable and have good supply chains and so on. What can members of super funds do to ensure that their super is kind of doing the same thing? I think the first thing to do is probably just be as informed as you can be and act as a responsible consumer. We try to do the right thing, but at the same, you know, this is a really big problem and it's not as easy as saying, like, don't buy from Chinese factories or, you know, don't buy from Bangladeshi factories. You know, if it's got a bang, you, that's not the right answer because, you know, these can be really valuable jobs in these communities. And just because it comes from there doesn't mean modern slavery has been involved. They could be employed in a sort of fairly well respectable way. Um, that's why it's really important to kind of look at where you're buying from, understand what processes and practices they have in place. Most of them have reasonable reporting on their website where you can compare summary of how these different companies work and manage these risks. 
And of course, the other thing worth highlighting, Lyndon, is when you're looking at your super fund, you've got to make a, a, a judgment on how good they are with their uh, G um, integration. Here at Unisuper, we're quite proud of our approach and the fact that it's all integrated into our entire investment process. And while there's me and Sybil talking about ESG, the reality is that all of our portfolio managers and analysts look at these issues of ESG to ensure that you know the companies we invest in are acting responsibly and you know the real focus on quality you know, underpins everything that we do. Thanks, guys, for coming into Super Informed Radio today and having a chat about modern slavery and how that impacts us as consumers and investors. It's been really interesting to hear some real-life examples. Um, For anybody wanting more information about what we've talked about, we'll put a lot of those links in our show notes. So thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tanya. Thanks, Tanya. Thanks, Lyndon. That was Sybil Dixon and Lou Caparelli from our investments team talking to us today about our whole of fund approach to environmental, social and governance issues here at Unisuper. That's right, Tanya. And um, if you'd like more information on responsible investing at Unisuper, you can head to unisuper.com.au forward slash responsible and uh, check out all the information there. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Super Informed Radio. For more information on anything we've talked about today, check out our show notes. And to listen to previous podcasts, head to unisuper.com.au forward slash podcasts or subscribe through any good podcast app. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye for now.